Welcome to the Women's Health Wisdom and Wine Podcast, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many other women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.lorenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, please remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. In today's episode, Siobhan Odom talks with me about perinatal mood disorders, the value of timely mental health care, and the importance of prioritizing mental health and wellness along with your physical health and wellness. Let's listen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today we welcome the DMV's own Siobhan Odom, owner of Acoma Counseling Concepts to the pod. And we're discussing mental health, especially as it pertains to women's health concerns. Welcome Siobhan. Hello. So to begin our conversation, please tell us a little bit about yourself. And since we all know that words and naming conventions are supremely significant, please tell us about the origin story of your practice and how you determined your practice name. Oh, okay, cool. I love that question. Um, so I am a licensed professional counselor in DC and Maryland, and I am also a nationally board certified perinatal mental health clinician, and I have a practice called Acoma Counseling Concepts LLC that services uh, women um, and birthing bodies um, and individuals that identify as women in DC and Maryland. And um, the focus of my practice is perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and reproductive uh, psychology. So miscarriage, fertility issues, infant and pregnancy loss. Um, The meaning of a coma, so a coma is from Ghana. It's an Adinkra symbol. It looks like a heart um, and it means like patience and um, wisdom um, and pretty much a lot of the things that you would want for your therapist to have. But I specifically chose a name that when people of color saw it, they would know, oh, this is a place that services people that look like me. Right. I love it. All of those things go together. And especially as you're dealing with women's health issues, a lot of times we don't even take into account that energetically the heart is connected to the womb. And so when we think about women's health challenges, 
most times we're talking about fertility. We're talking about something that has to do with some menstrual disorders, something to do with something that's womb-related, endometriosis, fibroids, something. And as we connect that heart with the womb, it's a natural connection energetically and physically. All right, so I'm going to get right into the nitty-gritty. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So as a black woman, a practice owner, a clinician, what do you wish you would have known before you opened your practice? <laughs> Everything. Um, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, what do I wish that I would have known? Um, well, I mean, we're being honest here. I wish that I would have known that um, I would have had to build my own table. I wish that I would yeah. have known that there were still going to be doors at, close to me and tables where people were trying not to let me have a seat. Um, right. I guess, and I say that to say because whenever we hear about um, people's approaches to mental health, especially within the black community, we hear a lot of the about the racism and the stigma on the client patient side, but we don't hear about the racism and the stigma that us practitioners face just trying to create a space to service our patients. And so um, that was something that I wish that I was aware of. I was prepared for, but I wasn't. Right. I wasn't aware of. So that's what I wish that I that I would have known. That the racism yeah, and I think that's for a, all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for all of us, the so breaking into the space and for the people that we want to serve. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel? You have what have you done to overcome that? And how do you feel? your approach is still, you know, breaking barriers in terms of servicing people of color and especially women and um, who are experiencing perinatal health challenges, mental health challenges. Um, so um, let's see, I have created, well, in 2019, I created a Black Maternal Mental Health Awareness Campaign with the legislature for the U.S. Virgin mm-hmm. Islands in memory of my late mom, who was a, a fellow Crusian. And um, because in the words of the late great Tupac, we all came from a woman. So um, I wanted yes, to make amen. sure I did like a great tribute to her, but also again right. to magnify how black people in U.S. territories we tend to be underlooked, right? So, like for example, in D.C., it's a U.S. territory, but we can vote in the presidential election. And the U.S. and the U.S. Virgin Islands, right. they can't. They can't vote. They can't vote for the president, but they're stuck with these conditions. So. I did that, um, and I hosted my psychoeducation training there, and I gave away some items. I also spoke with um, uh, then-Senator Alicia Barnes um, at the local radio station. Mm -hmm. There's only one hospital in the island of St. Croix, um, so I was really able to just hit straight to the source um, with, like, the the L&D unit, the labor and delivery unit. and just yeah. see the disparities. Like, there's no perinatal mental health care. There still is a whole a need for doulas and midwifery over there. Mm-hmm. There's a need for reproductive uh, endocrinology over there um, and holistic as well. So I did that, and then um, I presented at several perinatal mental health conferences. Um, and oh yes, I. This is an important piece. I think this is by far the most important piece of everything that I do. I supervise graduate student interns that 
either are graduates of HBCUs or are currently enrolled at an HBCU so that they can um, be trained in perinatal mood disorders um, and reproductive psychology. And so they are required to participate in continuing education in both realms and to have a caseload with clients that are within the both uh, of both realms. To me, I feel like that's how I'm really making my biggest change, my biggest impact because um, I understand I'm not gonna be here forever and so I would love to help play a role in creating a whole generation of future therapists of color that specialize in perinatal mental health and reproductive psychology. I mean, I've done other things like this week, I'm not this week, this year I published a essay in the Journal of Mental Health Counseling on how I um, incorporated just um, my pro Black Lives Matter stance into my clinical work, into my graduate uh, intern supervision <clears throat> and culturally informed right. care. And I've also created um, psychoeducation, continuing, um, I mean, accredited continuing education on black maternal mental health. And so that that's how I stay, I stay in the space. And um, this fall with Mary Center, um, I was on the steering committee to just to, to launch our annual DMV Perinatal Mental Health Symposium, where we talk about um, issues that are impacting um, residents of DC, Maryland, and Virginia in the perinatal health and the perinatal mental health space. Excellent. That's, that's what we call really engaging with the community, not just the community that where you presently reside, but communities that you represent far and wide. And I love that. And you mentioned some terms that I want to make sure we clarify before we get too deep into our conversation. And we mentioned perinatal, postpartum, and I want to, again, reemphasize that there's postpartum is not just a, is a period of time and it's not the disorder itself. So I'd like to talk about what the difference is, because sometimes I will hear people say, oh, I have postpartum or she has postpartum. And it's one of those terms that I'm, that kind of like, Words matter to me. Um, and so when I hear someone say, oh, she had postpartum or yeah, I have postpartum. I'm like, postpartum what? Like postpartum what? Like it's not a, it's not a thing. That's a period of your life. So talk to us a little bit about the difference between postpartum, the definition, perinatal, the definition, and then what the, what that describes in terms of anxiety, mood disorders, depression, as you move through and then we'll get into some other topic yeah thank you for saying that because that's that's my biggest pet peeve when people are like i know someone that had <laughs> postpartum they what they lived in the postpartum period <laughs> right they, right they didn't have postpartum they have postpartum depression so um when we say perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that means um a birthing individual that has um, experienced symptoms of depression um, and or anxiety or trauma in the prenatal time period, so the time during pregnancy, and then the time after delivery, which is up to one year postpartum. So you can experience postpartum okay. depression, postpartum anxiety, um, prenatally. And sometimes you might hear people say prenatal depression. I'm hearing more people say that, which makes me feel wow, good okay. because then um, it minimizes some of the confusion, but it also highlights awareness of the fact that there are large, large numbers of, of individuals experiencing um, um, depression prenatally. Um, and then right. 
Also, um, there's postpartum OCD. There's postpartum PTSD. Mm -hmm. And um, right. to, to get straight to the point, um, again, in the black community, when we talk about the black maternal mortality crises, what you're hearing a lot of is postpartum PTSD. That's what you're hearing a lot of, right. where there right. are, and that's basically what it is, when there are women that have unfortunately had some traumatic birth experiences um, that, okay. yeah, right. that may have resulted in um, the baby being in the NICU or mom just having this long recovery. Um, what also isn't discussed is that for every mom, so for every 10 moms that have postpartum depression, their partner has like a one in four chance, something like that, to have postpartum depression wow. as well. So um, you can also have postpartum anxiety. You can have a perinatal mood anxiety disorder if you miscarry right. um, mm -hmm. because you met the qualifying factor, which was pregnancy. Right. Um, and you can also have a perinatal mood anxiety disorder for adoption. Oh, good. That's that's very good clarifying statements because I think a lot of times we say words but we don't necessarily have a full grasp on what those words mean and how those words translate into real life. So thank you for clarifying those. And as we move on, I would like to talk about the fact that the modern or conventional healthcare system as a whole does continue to fail black and brown women from primary care all the way through tertiary care. So talk to us a little bit about how your practice is bridging those gaps, not only in terms of women's mental health, but also in addressing education, perinatal mood disorders, and fertility challenges, specifically reproductive health and fertility challenges. So I think that's where um, a lot of women are suffering right now. Yeah, so I have to say way number one is um, I just wrapped up some training with the Association for Reproductive Medicine, and that was really sparked by um, me seeing some clients that had expressed to me that they were seeking out a therapist of color that specialized in reproductive psychology um, because their fertility clinic was saying that as part of their um, IVF treatment that they had to get an evaluation by somebody, by a clinician um, that was recognized by ASRM, the Association for Reproductive Medicine. And so I realized there's not that many of us. And so, no. which is bananas to me. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, so especially in the DMV. So my, so one of the ways I'm attempting to bridge that gap is, um, yeah, I've started the training. I'm going to continue the training. Um, and so I've begun to receive at least one or two referrals um, because I've been I've, I've been listed. I'm listed in one of their directories now. So that's one way of bridging a gap um, because I understand that representation matters. But I also want to make sure that I clarify that representation doesn't always indicate qualification. Right. So say it again. Please say it again. One more right. time. Slower, representation so doesn't really always understand that. indicate qualification because there are people there are practitioners of color that are scared of their own racial identities and like and other people say it again racial one more identities. time say it again yes <laughs> say it they, again they're scared of their yes. racial identities and other people's racial identities and so eh, you know in the words of the great late great zora neale hurston like all skin folk ain't kin folk and so um so that's yes. how i'm bridging the gap um the other way that i'm also doing that too is um 
Yes, I have created a virtual support group for a black woman that are seeking to become single moms via assistant reproductive technology like IUI or IVF. Um, because during this pandemic, there has been a wave of women that have realized, oh my goodness, I've been quarantined. And so I mm-hmm. my dating life is not like what it was or right. our times are ticking. So I just want to go and, and, and pursue this. And um I think that that's how I'm bridging the gap. Like, I'm just trying to normalize that this is happening. This is nothing new. It's happening. And I'm using my social media to continue the community, to continue the conversations because I see sometimes I'll see posts where only 10 people like it. But when I look at those um, (laughs) analytics, I see that over 55 people have shared that post. Right. (laughs) There you go. This is needed yeah. and people are conversing and those are hot topics. Talk. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there and there's also space to realize that you're not the only one because if you can bring it up in a post based on things that you're seeing in your practice, there's not just one person who showed up. That's one person who showed up acknowledging that they need help versus the nine other people who need help either haven't recognized it or too embarrassed or too ashamed or don't have the funds or whatever reason that they haven't quite showed up yet. And I think that's so important for practitioners alike, just because you are doing the work, keep doing the work and people will come. It just, you know, it's a pro- our process is to be there, to be available. And I, I appreciate you for continuing to do the work, um, even when it doesn't necessarily reap the harvest that you're expecting but you're starting the conversation and you're planting the seeds. And that's that's a remarkable job. Oh, well, thank so you. So talk to us about, you're welcome, you're welcome. Talk to us about your specialty or your niche and how does your approach, your specific approach to care and counseling differ from a typical mental health counseling session or appointment? I love that question, Dr. White, because <laughs> um, there's so many therapists out here that'll say, I'm a trauma-informed therapist and a trauma-trained therapist. And they're not because they only saw four people that had trauma in like the five years they were licensed to practice. And it's the same thing with perinatal right. mental health. There are people that say, oh, yeah, I see clients with postpartum depression, but they haven't um, participated in any accredited postgraduate training specialized in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So. Right. What sets um, my like what sets myself and my colleagues that are perinatal mental health clinicians aside from general practitioners? So, we have completed again accredited postgraduate training in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, whether it's through Postpartum Support International or um, the Seleni Institute. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a couple of other, 2020 Mom those places, I received my postgraduate training through a grant, the Pollinger Grant that funded Mary Center. And there was a two-year program, um, and so they created the DMV Perinatal Mental Health Champions. And it was awesome because many of us that were in that cohort, we've gone on to start private practices or OBGYN practices or go into practice in reproductive psychiatry or really be active in the advocacy space um, or in the culturally informed doula space. which kind of uh, leans into what also makes me different as well and culturally informed. So I, whenever I see a client in the initial assessment, it's not as simple, let's talk, let's get, you know, connected. 
As a perinatal mental health therapist, I'm required to assess for the presence or lack of presence for several different um, mood disorders that may be happening because perinatal mood disorders, they wax and wane so quickly. Like sometimes I've had clients that are like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're bawling, crying. And then I see them three weeks later and they're like, girl, I don't need to see you. I'm good. I'm fine. And (laughs) so I'm I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm checking with the psychiatrist (laughs) and they'll say, yeah, that that rod of medicine was really successful. You know, I've advised them to continue on, you know, for a month or so. But then sometimes I may see a client that will come in kind of mild and then a month later, real heavy, you know? Um, So I, I do a lot of assessing. I do a lot of psychoeducation, which is uh, again providing okay. education and resources to help my clients be able to locate information and even support virtually or in person outside of our sessions. The other thing that I also do is I only refer my clients to people that are cha- that are trained in the perinatal space. So if I have a client that may have okay. nutrition issues, because sometimes there are some people that are pregnant, they're postpartum, they have eating mm-hmm. disorders. And so right. sometimes I will refer them to a nutritionist that is trained in perinatal mood disorders or... Um, I'll train, like, I only refer my clients if there's a presence for um, further psychiatric evaluation to a reproductive psychiatrist or reproductive psychiatric nurse um, practitioner. Um, Or I will sometimes refer to, um, what else, Uh, doulas that are also culturally informed and also well-versed in perinatal mood anxiety disorders. And then, of course, I'm looking forward to referring some people to you, Dr. White, because a lot of my clients... (laughs) <laughs> they're they're huge on um, again holistic spaces and decolonized wellness and culturally informed care. Um, so, right. and also the process sometimes of uh, conception or pregnancy can be very intimidating to many women. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. again, we're looking for places where we feel safe and we're being supported, yeah. right, and educated. Because yeah. sometimes we do the things and we don't know why we're doing yeah. them. So that's what right. would set me And breaking those habits. And sometimes breaking habits is harder than we think it is because we've been doing them for our whole entire adult lives. Mm-hmm. And we don't even realize that it's a, a habit that needs to be broken because it's just so natural and it feels normal until it's not. Yeah, but that's what sets me apart because, um, and I want to make sure I say this like for the record. Sure. Um, my most severe cases have been individuals that have come from other clinicians that don't specialize in this space. And so um, they will, something in them will tell them like, "Mm, I don't know if I'm getting the support that I need. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do a Google search. Um, Because again, a lot of these doctors, some of them may, I learned from one of my black clients, they have a whole postpartum depression packet and they have a referral page on the back mm-hmm. and there's nobody of color on the referral page, right? Um, not one. Not one. And then when we walk up in the office and speak to the practice manager, they look at you like, what's wrong? You need to get out. But, uh, right. but I guess when, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, but, but that's, what sets, <laughs> that's what sets me, um, sets myself and my colleagues apart is, um, we do understand that you can be happy. You could have prayed for this baby. You know, you could have fundraised on mm-hmm. GoFundMe for this baby. But then when the baby came, you're just like, uh-uh, mm, I don't, 
This my yeah. baby? I no. Yeah. Why are they crying? Right. Why won't they stop crying? You know, right. and they yeah. feel guilty. Absolutely, and it's normal. Mm-hmm. It's normal. It's yeah. normal. It can and, happen, and it doesn't mean that there's something broken in you. Right. It does mean that there's more attention is needed during this time in this space mm-hmm. because hormones are a very powerful thing, and not everybody responds to them in the same way, and will have the same response or reaction. And it doesn't mean that you're broken. Mm-hmm. It just means that there's more attention needed during this time of your life than was previously necessary to as you adapt to a new phase of life. And I think a lot of times there's still a lot of stigma in our communities that prevent us from getting the help that we need yeah. in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. So in, in with that in mind, in black and brown communities seeking help for mental health concerns is still stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And I see the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction, especially in younger people. How do you see this pivot playing out in your work and in your practice? Social media. Um, when I was okay. in graduate school. Speak on it. Yeah. When I was in graduate school, Facebook had just came out. And so mm-hmm. when I had started my practice, even in grad school, when they talked about starting a practice, um, Social media was not part of marketing, was not part, uh, it was not something that was taught as a way to access um, potential clients. And so I think that pivot is happening because now if you talk to somebody in a, in a group of um, Generation Z individuals, because it's no longer, nobody's really mm-hmm. talking about millennials anymore. Like I'm a geriatric millennial. So... <laughs> like no one's really talking about us anymore but just in that space it's very common to say if you ask somebody hey like in in the very dc way what do you do you'll learn that somebody will say right and oh wow yeah right whereas if 10 years ago you said influencer people would be like what's that right and so um Mm -hmm. I believe that pivot has happened because more people are spending more time on their phones using TikTok, using Instagram, using Twitter as a way to promote awareness. Um, but I, I will right. say, though, um, and I see more of my colleagues post making posts and tweets about this is. Um, I think it's great that we're posting awareness and it's making sure that people are normalizing things. But I just want for people to be careful when you're giving out advice that worked solely for you. It's kind of like if Dr. White gave me medical advice that worked for me, it's not for me to go to five of my friends and say, hey, girl, well, this will work for me and you need to do that. Because what can be helpful to me can be potentially harmful to those five other friends. Harmful. And it's the same thing with mental health. And so... Because we do. We see a lot of these influencers. We see a lot of these coaches. We see a lot of these um, people who online are saying that they're psychotherapists and they're not. And so they're normalizing a lot of. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah so, so that's where a lot of the, the discussion <laughs> is coming from. But the pivot, though, I also think the pivot is also attributed to the pandemic. Um, you know, we were mm, quarantined. Okay and forced to really have to sit with ourselves and not able to leave and go into an office and speak to another individual, another individual being a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, like so many people work was their refuge. And so they couldn't go to work and they were stuck at home. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where that. that And isolation is 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 a heavy, heavy feeling. 
and it can be encompassed in sadness and grief, the loss of something, a loss of familiarity, mm -hmm. the loss of actual physical contact, social contact, the just the emptiness of not having anything else to bounce off of except for your own feelings, your emotions. And sometimes that's a lonely place to be. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fear that comes into that. And so when there's fear, there's anxiety, there's sadness, there's grief, there's worry, all those different emotions, none of which are positive in and of themselves. They're not negative emotions, but they're not also, they're negative when they're all coming down at you at once, coming at you real fast, and there's nothing to counteract them. And I feel like you hit on a very good point and those two together, that intersection of the pandemic and having to really just be by yourself going through that aspect can be a heavier weight than many of us can are still trying to navigate because it's not easy. And it's definitely gone on longer than I think most of us ever imagined. I think we were set for that two weeks of lockdown in March and it was gonna be like, okay, we're gonna be about this in April, May, things will be good. And a year, almost two years later, we still haven't found a way to, I don't think, healthfully, healthfully navigate this intersection of isolation for physical health sake so that we're not continuing to spread the virus, but how to navigate where that physical health and that mental health meet mm -hmm. and how to do that in a way that works for like you said each and every person and thank you for highlighting the individuality of care because just like with physical health concerns uterine fibroids is a diagnosis but you don't treat every person with uterine fibroids the same way endometriosis is a diagnosis but as a practitioner, if I gave everyone the same medication, gave them the same set of, you know, their care plan to do the same exact thing, not only would that be iatrogenic, it would also be just malpractice because I'm not looking at the person as a whole. I'm looking them at as a diagnosis. And that's no different in mental health. Your anxiety is not going to be the same as the next person's anxiety. Your Peri perinatal mood disorder of whatever form it comes in may not be as intense, may not be as frequent, and may not manifest in the same way. And it still requires an individual approach. And I think what you mentioned before about taking that extra time and space to really see that person as a whole helps set you apart from other practitioners, clinicians, because you're seeing them who they are when they step into your space and not just the diagnosis that they are seeking help for. So that's wonderful. Um, again, piggybacking, continuing to piggyback on that last question. Oftentimes we, I, see high achieving women seeking help only once they are in the depths of despair and hanging on by a thread, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, socially, spiritually, and or vocationally. How do you encourage women to seek help before they bottom out in one or more of these life areas? Um, my new practice that I started within the past couple of months is I'm the the auntie, because that's the term they give us now, right? When we get to be a certain age. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the auntie that when I'm out someplace and I'm speaking to a 20-something I understand that the last thing that a high achieving or, a, you know, in their mind, high achieving um, mm -hmm. individual is thinking of is having a child. 
But I had that conversation with right. them, and I keep it really honest with them because I tell them I'm I, I tell them I see I see individuals that started out just like you, and. I see them when they meet the person who they thought they were never going to meet after horrible dates, right? I see them, you know, after they've they've climbed the ladder and they've secured that job that they never thought that they were going to get and things are kind of calmed and settled, but now they're saying, I want to have a child. And so they're realizing, hmm, okay, well... Okay, all the things I wanted to accomplish, it wasn't able for me personally to accomplish by the time I was 35. It took me till I was 40, right, to be able to afford to do these things. Mm -hmm. And this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Or um, right. uh, one thing I also hear, too, is a lot of uh, I hear many women getting mad at their OBs because they heavily rely on OBs. Just like I find a lot of black uh, patients, they heavily rely on primary care. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know why we don't like to go to a specialist, especially when we have insurance. Right. And so I hear right. this. Often. That's what it's for, people. Right. And so I hear this uh, often. And it's a privilege that not everybody has. Right. So yeah, use it. Because 20% of us are not insured. <laughs> so, um, and so. Not insured or underinsured. Right. Right. And so um, I tell them that they sometimes will learn that they had a pre-existing reproductive health issue that if they only learned about when they were 25, you know, or when they were 30, they could have been um, put some preventative measures and means into space, into place. And I, I right. um, so that's pretty much my suggestion that is if you're even thinking that someday you're going to be having a baby of your own, you need to not only just focus on when you get the job offer and asking HR, well, what type of benefits and accommodations do you make for women in the birthing space? You then also need to begin right. to start having some brave, courageous conversations with your OBGYN. And if you don't feel like they're answering your question satisfactorily, it's okay for you to go and seek out an additional opinion and really tell them what their plans are. The best advice that was ever given to me by an OB was um, they'd asked me, they were like, they were all excited to see me like, hey, you know? And then they were saying, they were like, well, what are your plans? And so it was the first time an OBGYN had asked me, what were my plans? And I said, oh, well, I wanna have a kid. And so they said to me, well, have you got your fertility work done? And I said, fertility work? And mm -hmm. I felt like this jolt of lightning just go through me because I'm gonna be honest, my first response was, yeah. You want me to go see a fertility doctor because then that means that something is wrong and they're going to tell me something scary and I don't know if I want to do that because my grandmother and my mother and everybody's been telling me to just pray on it and I, I am a Christian believer. But I'm just saying, faith without works is dead. And so she said that... Um, I love it. I love yeah, and so she said... I'm going to give you a referral to XYZ Fertility Clinic. I want for you mm -hmm. to get your workup done. Then once that's done, come back here and then we can have a visit and we can discuss on how to move forward from there. And I did it. I'm glad that she asked me to do that because um, it allowed me to understand some of the biases that my patients undergo getting these, just these tests done right it helped me to understand mm -hmm. some of the nuances that my patients experienced which is getting the right referral form that's approved by your insurance company and how they could cancel out a whole visit if you right. don't have it and it also helped exactly. me to better understand 
my body and it helped me to yeah. it also changed the way that i showed up in the world it changed the way that i showed up for myself mm -hmm. right so yeah. um absolutely yeah yeah and i can definitely say like um i've definitely had clients where they've done that workup and they switched up some things because they're like they understand oh okay this is what i have and this is what i don't have um and so right. it, it informs sometimes the way that some people date it informs the way mm. that um some people eat it informs mm -hmm. the way that um even still some people just uh change their lifestyle so that's the way that that's what i do now i i get in total auntie mode yeah. and they roll their eyes they tune out and and i know that they tune out but i tell them this all the time 10 years you're going to be thinking back to this mm -hmm. conversation. I guarantee you, you won't know where I'm at. I won't know where you're at, but yeah. you're going to flash back <laughs> to this conversation because I know that I'm the only person that's giving you a conversation like this. I'm not telling you that you got to get married. Yeah. I'm not telling you that you have to have a baby right now. I'm telling you, hey, you might want to ask some extra questions. You might want to think about some financial planning, the way that you do about your Roth and your 403B to prepare yourself for the future and your maternal health future. Yes, and I think that's so important. And a lot of times patients wait for their OB to initiate that conversation or they initiate the conversation, but at the 11th hour when it's like, okay, you've been trying for six months, 12 months, or something's just not working out and you're waiting for everything to be perfectly aligned. And then you are already behind the eight ball because now time isn't on your side. And 35 isn't the, you know, drop off a cliff age where, you know, things just, you know, go downhill immediately. However, it is a crucial point in a woman's life where things will become not exponentially more challenging, but incrementally more challenging, especially in terms of conceiving pregnancy, healthy pregnancy, because the age of the eggs is going are considerably older, and that's just a fact. Um, however, there are ways to, you know, after at 35 and beyond, there's so many different ways to have a healthy pregnancy, a healthy mother-baby dyad. But the practice should be just like you have your annual visit. When you have your annual visit, initiate that conversation, even if your OB or your primary care physician does not, that you would like a fertility workup. And even if they're saying, oh, you're fine, you're healthy, they don't know either until you get some data and some results. Just because you're young does not mean you're healthy. I just had a patient, she is 21, and she has very, very, very low AMH. AMH is your anti-malarian hormone. That is your ovarian, that is an indicator that reflects your ovarian reserve. At 21, the average person, that's the last thing they're thinking about is their ovarian reserve. They're 21. But without a test, without knowing, just like you get your red blood cell count, just like you get your, you know, any other count, your comprehensive metabolic panel, you get your cortisol, your thyroid levels, all those things. Why aren't you taking that same proactive preventive stance for your own reproductive health? And I think that's so important. Even if your OB doesn't bring it up, it's time for us to be proactive and ask for it, demand it, so that you know that you're taking a comprehensive look at your whole body, not just the physical aspects and the mental health aspects that will later ensue because you didn't take proactive care when you could. 
Um, that's so important. I thank you so much for highlighting that aspect because there's that mental health component that you said happens 10 years after a precipitating factor probably has already begun in your reproductive health system. So thank you so much for highlighting that and giving some excellent tools for moving forward at each one of your OB-GYN visits. So as we close, are there any resources you recommend for our listeners who want to begin or improve upon their mental health, wellness, and healing journeys, whether that's via reproductive health, perinatal health, or overall women's health? Um, well, if you are like partnered or married and you're thinking about having a family, I strongly encourage that you both seek out individual counseling and couples counseling because sometimes this process can stir up some things. Um, so <laughs> that's the first resource I, I want to give out. I'm serious. Cause I know you've heard this. Like sometimes there are people that they go back and forth over who yes. was paying for the reproductive, uh, you know, treatment or whatnot yep. or you said that you wanted to have kids when we got married and then you get married and you learn that having mm -hmm. a child is not as easy and then um or, or cheap yeah yeah and so this is, <laughs> these are things that like you really need to discuss before you commit or like take the commitment to the next level with somebody and so um i find right. that that's a huge part of the stress um so i apologize for the sirens in the background um, but in any event, um, okay. if you are pretty much experiencing some issues with fertility and you're looking for support groups and you are African-American, I suggest the Fertility for Colored Girls support group. Um, they have a mm -hmm. grant. And I actually had a client a couple of years ago that was fortunate enough to get the grant. So it's real. And um, yeah, it's been a great resource. And then I believe there's... Um, a uh, black woman in infertility they're based out in massachusetts it's a, it's a psychotherapist that leads it um and the, that group is free that group is free because it is grant funded okay. um it's virtual so that's another resource okay. and um okay we'll put all of these in the show notes so keep listing them yes and if you are if you believe that you are suffering from a perinatal mood anxiety disorder you can also visit um, postpartum support international Dot com. They also have a therapist directory across all 50 United States. And if you are a resident of DC, Maryland, or Virginia, you can also visit uh, DMV PMHresourceguide.com to locate a perinatal mental therapist or psychiatrist or support group uh, that's local. But please be sure to contact the individual practitioner site to see if they're in network, um, network with your insurance if you're using insurance. I am currently accepting Thank clients. You so much. And, okay. Yeah. So, give us all your information. Where can we find you? Where are you located? And again, what type of clients do you accept insurance wise and other? And again, what type of specifically where you feel your strengths are in terms of the conditions that clients need help with? Ooh, I love that question. Where do I think my strengths are? Um, so I definitely know that my, or think my strengths are in the perinatal space with women's mental health issues or race-related issues. So I okay. only see women clients uh, that are about 16 years and older. Um, and okay. I am only in network with Care First, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. I get this question often. Okay. No, I'm not accepting any other insurances and I don't plan to. Um, and um, you can find me at on Instagram 
at A-K-O-M-A underscore counseling on Twitter, Acoma Counseling, and my website, uh, acomacounselingconcepts.com. And all of our sessions are... Those will all be in the show notes as well, so we'll make sure you can find her. And again, any parting words of wisdom for our listeners as we sign off? Um, I know that experiencing these issues can feel stressful and it can feel very isolating and alone. Um, and there might be some times where you might feel like your body's turning against you or you're turning against your body. Um, but there's never a wrong time to seek out mental health. Um, there's always a right time to seek it. I don't care if you've got five meetings and 10 deadlines. There are, there's always a right time to seek out mental health, um, mental health care. And you don't have to wait until you feel like everything is burning down to seek out therapy. Um, you can seek out therapy just when you're just feeling like, oh, okay, I'm feeling stressed, right? Because stress management is a great part of the whole reproductive wellness school, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, spectrum as well. So um, that's what my parting words is. It's just don't be afraid to seek it out and um, don't be afraid to seek out different therapists. So if you find a therapist and you don't like them in the first session or two, you don't have to like them. It's okay. It's your right. It's your legal right, <laughs> right. to say, okay, you don't even have to say anything. You can just go and see another yeah. therapist because I, I, this is my actual real parting words that I've been saying to everybody this holiday season. We are helpers, right? We try to be healers. But we are not Jesus Christ miracle workers. So I'm not the sole expert of you. You are the expert of you. I'm just here to support you. And so just be mindful that um, it's always the right time to go to therapy and embrace the journey. Embrace it. Because it's a great journey once you allow yourself to get comfortable with it. Yes. That is so beautiful. Thank you, Siobhan. That is That was inspiring. That was candid, that was honest, and I feel that that was super helpful. And I know the person who's listening, who needed to hear that message, they definitely got it and it was well received. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm thinking that we're just gonna have to be some repeat appearances because I think you have so many more gems to offer. So I think we'll be seeing some more of you in 2022. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful start to your 2022 and we'll see you soon. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for sharing these brief moments in time with us. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guest, their contact information and associated social media channels. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply to your own life. Also, Please follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and comment telling us what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see more of in future episodes. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you next time.